a phrase um, in this bit um, where Jesus tells them to go and find the donkey. And he says, go and find a colt that no one has ever ridden before. Isn't that an interesting little phrase to throw in? Why is it important that no one's ever ridden it before? And I think he's saying this. No one has ever been a king like this before. No one has ever wielded power in this gentle way before. No one has ever been a king like this before. This is a cult that no one has ridden. Sadly, as we look around the way the world today, this is still a little donkey that no one has ridden, isn't it? Like no one still does power like this. No one still does kingship by dying um, for, their, for, their, for their friends, by dying even for their enemies. Um, and this is a completely new picture of what power is like. And so there's this political narrative um, in the Easter story. Jesus isn't just riding in to get himself killed to save us from our sins. That's key, massive, big part of it. But he's also making a fundamental statement about the nature of his kingdom. Um, so like in the, in the book of Revelation, which often it kind of comes across like a violent book. It's also very powerful imagery. Um, but there's this moment where, where the lion of God is kind of roaring and, and there's this, how's that? Like, and they're all like, whoa, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah has won victory. And then John turns around to look, whoa, what's the lion look like? And what does it look like? It looks like a bloodied, murdered lamb. Like the way Jesus achieves victory, the way Jesus builds his kingdom is never coercion and it's never threat and it's never violence. And so any things in the world, any power structures that are based on coercion, that are based on threat, that are based on violence, that sustain themselves through coercion or threat or violence are not the kingdom. And so there's this kind of really powerful um, political story. No one's ever ridden this cult before. Not cult, C-U-L-T. Cult, C-O-L-T. Crucial difference. Don't go riding a new cult today. Um, <laughs> Nigel isn't here, so he wouldn't know. Um, but there's, here's, here's, here's my problem with this. Is that there's a danger with looking at the story just with those eyes. And I think that's crucial. I think it's a crucial narrative. But there's a danger if we just look at this story saying this is a, a story about big political powers. This is a story about Jesus versus Rome. This is a story about those in the world with their kind of finger on the nuclear button. Those, this is the story of the kind of the 1%. This is the story of the, um, those who wield power. Um, there's a danger that I kind of get off a bit scot-free. Does that make sense? Like that I can read this story and think basically the problem is someone else. The problem is the Caesars in the world. The problem is the pilots in the world. The problem is uh, the, the, you know, the political systems and the systems of injustice. And then I write a Facebook post signaling my self-righteousness and I feel like I'm done with it, like I'm get off scot-free. But I feel like the story also needs to impact us on a personal level, right? Um, that not just not only does God ride into the world in Jesus to bring fundamental new politics and power structures and systems, but he actually wants to ride in to every one of our hearts as king. And how does that look? What does that look like? What does it look like for Jesus to come as king into my life? What does he do? What does he see? What kind of changes might that lead to? What kind of um, uh, difference 
might that make? And so we don't get off scot-free from this passage. Does that make sense? So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to basically lead us on a little thought process through four of the phrases as this story is told in the four different Gospels. I'm going to use a phrase that's um, in Matthew's telling of this story, a phrase from Mark's telling of this story, a phrase from Luke's telling of this story, and then a phrase from John's telling of this story to help us do some kind of introspective work in our hearts with the Holy Spirit and think these things through together. Now, if you hate things that are contemplative-y or whatever, then you get to have a nap, so fine. Um, so don't, don't stress about it. Just you know, take the extra sleep. You're welcome. Um, but if, if you want to engage with this, then I think this could be really significant, particularly as uh, what we've been talking about this morning is... Um, already there's this theme coming through where, yeah, um, there's victory and there's there's this kind of big picture of victory and yay. And there's also this sense in which God comes close to us at the place of our deepest vulnerability and pain, isn't there? And both are true. Both are true. Um, and both are crucial, in fact. We can't, we can't have a God that isn't interested in both. That would be awful. So, are you ready for this kind of exercise? I've not led exercises like this before. So, you're my guinea pigs. Um, and it, uh, but let's be in it together and let's engage with what the Holy Spirit is saying um, to us. How it's going to work is I'm going to introduce the phrase, I'll talk for a couple of minutes, and then we'll just spend a minute or two and I'll kind of lead us in some kind of quiet thinking, meditation-y, contemplative-y thing. Is that cool? Yeah, cool. Okay, in that case, we'll get on with it. Um, The first phrase that we're going to look at from uh, from the book of Matthew is, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. Now think about that for a moment. Why was the city feeling so uptight about Jesus coming in? It reminds me of a bit right at the beginning of Matthew, um, when um, when Jesus was born. Do you remember this? Um, and news of him comes to Jerusalem, the kind of capital city of the day. And far from being really excited and really, whoa, this is great. There's a new kind of king being born. He's going to be all that we ever wanted. Um, there's this sense that the city of Jerusalem is actually really troubled by the news. The word here um, is the word, the word stirred there um, is actually the word shaken, not stirred. Yeah. <laughs> not my funniest talk, but that was a good moment, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> um, it's the word where we get seismic um, from. Um, it's the, this is the sense in which this kind of Jesus coming in means in some way an upheaval, in some way a kind of threat. Now think about that on a kind of personal level. What does it mean when Jesus comes into our lives? It's not just that he comes in as this kind of fluffy bunny, goodwill charm, like make everything better, is it? That's not how it works. When Jesus comes in, he kind of gets editing access to our lives. And sometimes, let's be honest, sometimes we're wary of handing over that kind of access to Jesus. Sometimes we're wary of him coming in um, as king because he might make things a little bit worse once in a while, or it might feel like that. Um, there was a guy, um, really old guy now, well, he's, he's dead now, um, but he was called St. Augustine. And um, 
So in fact, he's been dead for like 1,700 years. He was talking about his conversion experience in a book that you should read called The Confessions of St. Augustine. And it's really, really fascinating. It's 13 kind of chaptery books where he talks through his life and his conversion. And there's this moment where he's intellectually come to terms with the fact that, that okay, God is real. I believe in Jesus. Like, I know that, that it all adds up, and I know that he's king, but I cannot give, get myself to have hand my life over to him because it will cost me something. And for Augustine, what it would cost him was his, his, basically his sexuality. Um, he, he was with a concubine, and he knew that if he followed Jesus, then there would be a cost, and that would be to give up this kind of whole side of his life that he'd grown attached to um, that was around kind of sexual immorality and sexual license, basically. Um, And so he comes to this wrestling point where he's like, either I hand over the keys or I don't. Like, I'm intellectually on board, but will I let Jesus actually come into my life as king? Sometimes it costs us in that sense, because uh, Jesus is going to require a change in behavior, and we don't always want that, do we? But other times, our lives get more difficult in other ways. Um, I went to a conference last week. It was great. I got to go to Malta for a week to go to a conference. Life is hard being in ministry. Um, And I met people from um, across the kind of very North African countries um, who are believers um, massively in the minority. It's kind of North African countries are predominantly uh, Muslim. Um, But they're seeing real fruit. It's really exciting to hear stories of how many people are coming to faith. Um, And one of the guys who was there kind of does discipleship with new believers. So they're coming out of Islam and finding Jesus and, um, and, and beginning kind of fresh on this journey of discipleship. It's so exciting. And he said this when I was talking to him. He was like, you know, we've, we now teach in our first couple of sessions on discipleship, we teach the cost of discipleship. Like, we, we, don't, we, don't, we used to do it, like, way down the line, a few weeks in. Um, now we do it day one or day two. Because otherwise it comes out of the blue when you give your life to Jesus and all of a sudden you start experiencing rejection, you start experiencing threat, the police show up at your door. So he's like, we have to let people know letting Jesus into your life as king might involve a cost. It might involve a huge cost. It might involve um, a pain. If he comes into our life as king, there comes, that comes with some degree of gosh. He gets to do what he likes with our lives. So now we're going to spend just a minute, um, and I'm going to lead us in a kind of thought exercise, okay? Are you ready? So I want you to get comfortable in your chairs, um, kind of sit uh, alert, sit um, upright if you can. It will help you not to doze off. Um, and just, just let's, let's kind of enter into a moment of quiet. Just close your eyes or stare at the floor or something or um, stare at the person in front of you if they're not too fun. Um, and just, um, okay, going to lead us through this exercise. So um, just take a few um, deepish breaths and just focus on your breaths and just notice um, what's on your mind. It might be worries about what's coming up or thinking about how the morning's gone or what you haven't gotten done or you forgot to put the oven on or you forgot to turn it off or whatever. And now I want you to imagine that in, in this story, you are Jerusalem. Like you, like picture yourself there. That you are this city. 
And Jesus is approaching you. Riding on a donkey. Palm branches on the road. And as he comes towards you, the question is, will I let him in? Will I let him into every part of my life? Will I let him into all my worry? Will I let him into my pain? Will I let him make the decisions? Will I let him into all of my relationships? Will I let him into my life at work? Will I let him into my thought life? Into my life alone? And we're going to ask the Holy Spirit a question now. Holy Spirit, is there an area of my life that I've not given you the keys to? And don't, don't, try and, don't try and work out the answer. Just relax in it. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit, is there an area of my life that I've not given you the keys to? And just sit there for a moment. And if he's bringing something to mind, he might, like there might be nothing in your mind, that's okay. Don't, again, don't force it. But if there's something that's come to your mind, then just... This is a good chance to say, okay, Jesus, I give you access. It's all yours. Okay, let's keep moving. The second phrase we're going to look at is in Mark. And actually, I'm going to do two and three kind of together, I think. Um, The second phrase is in Mark. Jesus entered Jerusalem, and he went into the temple courts. He goes right into the middle of the city, right into the center, right where uh, the kind of the real business of life and worship and, and meaning happens, right into the core of our being. And when he gets there, it says he looked around at everything. I love that in Mark, the way Mark tells the story is they go through this enormous triumphal procession, all the kind of pomp and ceremony. Well, it's not pomp and ceremony, you know what I mean. All the cloaks, all the branches. And then Jesus gets there, looks around, and goes home for the night. And it's just like, it feels like a bit of an anticlimax, but it's not. Uh, because when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, he doesn't just start by fixing everything, by sorting everything out, by changing everything. Instead, he begins begins by taking a full and honest inventory of what the state of Jerusalem is. Does that make sense? He comes in and he observes and he sees all that's beautiful about it. When he comes into our lives, he sees all that's beautiful about our lives. And he also sees the things that need to be challenged and changed and that need addressing. He sees the pain. He sees the hurt. He sees the history. He sees the relationships. He sees the state of our worship. He sees the state of our service. He sees everything. And, and so much of inviting Jesus into, his, into our lives is about inviting his perspective on us into our lives as well, that we want to see ourselves as Jesus sees us. Because over time, we get filled with narratives from other places, don't we? About how we're doing, about where our value is, about how we're progressing in life, about whatever, about how, how important you are. We inherit all these messages from elsewhere. And the challenge is, what does Jesus see when he looks around in my heart? And how does he invite me to see things differently? Um, There's a writer that I love um, who talks about religion like this. He says, um, (laughs) and he's talking about kind of like, um, like, well, I'll I'll just read you the quote. He says this, self-deception is the chief source of corruption in religious thinking, more deadly than error. As in more dangerous than being wrong about Jesus is being wrong about yourself. Isn't that interesting? It's kind of, he's kind of overstating the point a little bit, but I think also not. It's crucial to see ourselves 
how God sees us. And the likelihood is that the journey of discipleship, of inviting Jesus as king into our lives, is a journey of self-understanding, that it brings up more and more of our mess, more and more of our pain, but also more and more of our gifts and our skills and the way we're wired and more and more of what's beautiful um, in our lives. So we're going to think about that in a moment. But I also just want to, as a part of this, do the third one as well, um, just because of time, really. Um, In Luke, um, it says this, As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. That's interesting too, isn't it? That's not the way most kings enter a city. And yet he, he sees Jerusalem, and he sees the pain of it, and he sees the hurt of it, and he weeps over it. Listen, you don't weep over something you don't care about. And as we invite Jesus into our lives, we invite this one who is absolutely intimately connected with our emotions. We've already talked, Sarah just talked on this earlier. He, he, he massively cares about the pain and brokenness that's going on in our lives. But listen, it might not always be what you think it is. The pain that he, um, the, the, the thing that he weeps over Jerusalem about isn't necessarily what Jerusalem would expect him to weep over about to weep over about. Um, but So he doesn't weep over Jerusalem saying, oh, Jerusalem, I just feel so sorry for you because Rome is here and they're oppressing you. Instead, he weeps saying, oh, Jerusalem, if only you knew the way that led to peace. Isn't that interesting? That what he's weeping about is different to what they would expect him. When Jesus comes into our hearts, what would he weep over in our hearts? What would he weep over in my life? Like, what does, where does Jesus want to engage emotionally? Does that make sense? So I'm going to kind of lead, we're going to just think about these two things now. So get comfortable, not too comfortable, um, put the pillow away, um, and, no, I'm just kidding, I can't see anyone on the pillow. Um, and let's be quiet and just allow the Lord to kind of come into our life in this way. So Jesus entered Jerusalem. And he went into the temple courts and he looked around at everything. Just ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what do you see when you look at me? As Jesus comes into your life and he comes into the core of your being and he looks around, what does he find? Maybe it's um, pain. Maybe it's old pain like pain that you've buried under stuff. And a part of allowing Jesus as king is allowing him to kind of unearth and deal with it. Maybe it's disappointment or doubt. Maybe it's a a habit that you keep hidden from everyone else. And he sees it. It might feel uncomfortable him seeing it, but gosh, he loves us. He sees it with compassion. He sees it with tears. The question that we're going to ask him now, again, don't don't force it. It's okay um, to to not hear things, but also just like we did with the youth the other night, we're just kind of saying, we can't do this, Lord, but you can. Would you speak? Just ask the Holy Spirit, is there something that I don't see in me that you want to show me? There's something that I've hidden, something that I can't see in myself that you want to show me. And listen, whatever he brings up, it won't be to shame or to hurt, it will be in love. 
So let's just ask that and wait in quiet. Holy Spirit, is there anything I can't see in myself that you want to show me? The story that comes to mind, even as just thinking about this, is sort of a reverse telling of, of as Jesus tells that parable, do you remember, of the, of the gem hidden in a field? And how that's true of the kingdom of God. But I think it's also true of us as well. Do you know what I mean? I think Jesus finds the gem hidden in us. And he wants to bring it out and show it to us. And see, and so that we see, my gosh, so precious and so valuable. How are you doing? We're nearly done. Are you okay? Is anyone caught up on their sleep? That's okay too. Jesus can speak through dreams, visions, whatever. Um, okay, we're nearly, we're nearly there. Um, the last one is this um, in John. His disciples did not understand these things at first. Do you know what? I just love that. I love the disciples. They're just like, I mean, the temptation is to look at the disciples and think, man, Jesus is right there. You spent three years with him. He's explained to you what's going on. He's sitting on a donkey. People are saying, Hosanna, blessed is the coming king in the line of David. There's, you should be able to see what's going on. If anyone in this story should know what's going on, it should be the disciples, right? Um, and yet, they do not understand these things at first. There's this kind of sense in which while Jesus is doing something in our lives, we rarely see it as it's happening. Do you know what I mean? Like, isn't it normally true that we always look back and we think, oh man, at the time, I didn't have a clue what God was doing. And now I see he was doing that. Like when something's really, really rubbish or really, really painful in our lives, and, and it's always impossible in the moment, isn't it? It's like, man, I feel like he's abandoned me. I feel like he's not doing anything. I feel like, where is Jesus anyway? And then maybe a month, maybe five years, maybe a decade down the road, you're like, oh. And inviting Jesus in as king is a little bit like that. We rarely see what he's doing um, in the moment. Like, like the whole of the life of Joseph is like these kind of bumps and these troughs and these you gain favor in the prison. And then uh, I'm talking about the Joseph from the, in the Old Testament. Um, and you gain favor and then, you, and then get thrown in jail and then gain favor and then get forgotten about for another couple of years. And it's like, what is God doing? And then at the end of the whole story, he can look back and see, oh my gosh, there was a trajectory to what God was doing. And I didn't realize it but wow isn't it beautiful has anyone ever had that in their lives probably not the whole like going to jail lots of times thing maybe um but but where you can't see if, if that if that rings any bells for you where at a point you couldn't see what god was doing and then looking back you're like oh just put your hand up just to encourage the rest of us that's basically the only way i ever know what god is doing in my life is post <laughs> is after the event like um because we're all a bit numpties really um or like for paul he wasn't allowed to go there uh, well you know he was ministering he was trying to go to different places and he couldn't go there the holy spirit stopped him he couldn't go there the holy spirit stopped him and then the man from macedonia appeared in a vision all of a sudden god was shutting those doors because he was opening that one oh i didn't get that job because he was preparing this for me Oh, that relationship broke down because he had something better for me. Oh, isn't that cool? Isn't that beautiful? Um, but we rarely, <laughs> rarely see it, um, what's going on at the moment. And what does that call for? Well, what that calls for is really simply trust, like was just shared. 
It's like that kind of sense of... In fact, we've already mentioned a few Disney films, I feel like, this morning. Uh, kind of had the Lion King moment over there. We had Aladdin. Um, but like, like, where, um, <laughs> like where Aladdin is, is saying to Jasmine, um, do you trust me? This kind of sense of not always knowing what Jesus is doing, not always knowing what journey he's leading us on in our lives, but choosing to trust him anyway. This is a key part of what it means for Jesus to come into our lives as king. So I think we're gonna, I'm going to lead us through one more little activity. Um, and then could we sing King of Kings again? Is that all right after that? Um, is that okay, Sarah? I just hijacked the end of the service. Um, yeah, that's good. Um, ministry people, this will be really, really, really good. Yeah, it's going to kind of start to gather over here, um, maybe when we start singing. Um, because if anything's come up for you, um, probably a lot of things that come up, like, okay, that's interesting. You need to go away. You need to pray through it a little bit more. You need to um, seek God in it. But for others of you, um, may, you know, the dangerous thing with this kind of contemplation-y thing and asking Jesus what he thinks um, is that sometimes big stuff comes up. So please get prayer. If, if, or you can ask the person next to you. You can come to the front. Um, but please um, do get prayer. But let's just take another moment of quiet, and we're going to think about that step of trust when we don't see what God is doing in our lives. Like, maybe today, that's you. Maybe you're like, do you know what? I haven't seen God move in my life for ages, and I'm feeling a bit desperate. I can't see where he's going with this. I can't see where that thread in my life is going. I don't know what's going on. What is he doing? Is he even there? Um, And we're going to kind of address that question. Do you trust me? Um, And then we'll sing, I can show you the world. I thought that was funny as well. <laughs> um, yeah, so just again, just in a quiet, just close your eyes. Just a few breaths. Don't, don't let your brain just run away trying to think of ideas. Just take a few breaths, just slowly. And as Jesus wants to come in as king, he says, do you want to, will you trust me? Will you trust me with every part of your life, even when you don't understand what I'm doing? Will you trust me even when I seem to be silent? Will you trust me in the valley of the shadow of death? The question we're going to ask is, Holy Spirit, is there a part of my life that I need to trust you in? So let's ask that, Holy Spirit, is there a part of my life where I'm not trusting you, where I need to trust you? Is there any part where I'm still on the balcony and I've not stepped off onto the carpet? Maybe you feel like it's safer to have one foot on the balcony and one foot on the carpet. He's saying, take the other foot off. So I'd like to pray for us and then we'll sing again. (coughs) Holy Spirit. Um, thank you for all you're doing. Thank you for all you're doing in this passage as you ride into our universe, to our world, with such grace and humility and dignity. And you ride in to bring freedom and newness to us, to us as a world, to us as a, a political system and structure, to us as, as an economy, as a whatever, but also to us as individuals. You want to come in. You want to bring your freedom. You want to bring your life. And we say, Hosanna, come save us now. Come save us, Lord. Don't just save us from things external to us, but save us from ourselves. Save us from um, all, the, all the ways in which we uh, distrust you. Save us from um, all the built-up pain through our lives and all the voices that we've listened to that don't speak for you. Save us now. 
Save us from any perspective that's not of you on ourselves. Save us from dishonesty with ourselves. Save us from, um, from anger. Save us from resentment. Save us from um, everything that we need you to come and do. And Lord, help us to move forward as people with Jesus as our only king. Lord, we say you are our only king. This lamb is our only king. This one riding on a donkey. Blessed are you who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed are you, king in the line of David. So come, Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come as king into my life now. Mm. So um, people who are going to do prayer ministry, gather over here. If you want to start getting prayer, just come and get prayer. Like, um, If you want to pray with the person next to you, pray with the person next to you. Uh, but we're also going to sing together um, uh, once... Once more, just King of Kings, Majesty. I'll go and make the projector work.